This week, we talk about a startup nightmare. What do you do when your website gets attacked? We also discuss the recent political strife and give updates on our businesses. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, well, I've had a really uh, pretty stressful last 30 hours. You'd think it's because about 30 hours ago, a uh, you know domestic terrorist group attacked the capital of the United States. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Around that exact same time, we uh, Less Knowing Serum got its first legit DDoS attack ever. So I've been dealing with that ever since. So for us less technically inclined people, what does DDoS mean? Yeah, so a DOS, D-O-S, is a denial of service. Uh, it's a way for an attacker to take a website down. So basically, it's you just send a whole lot of traffic to a website, like more than the server can handle, and it just the server crashes, basically. It's, it's kind of like a very blunt instrument. It's just like, we're going to send you a whole lot of traffic, the site goes down. A DDoS is a distributed denial of service, which is just an extra level up, which means the traffic is coming from, like, what's called a botnet, I think. Sorry if there are security experts out there who think I'm using the wrong language, but I think it's called a botnet, which is like all of these different computers, like thousands or even millions across the world are sending traffic to our server. So you can't just like block one IP address. It's coming from all over the place and it's enough to overwhelm the server and take it down. Yikes. Yeah, so I'd, I've known about these for a long time. I've always kind of thought it's just a matter of time before this happens, um, but... It, it happened. <laughs> so what, what exactly happened and how have you responded? Yeah, I'm going to be a little cagey with some details just because it's still going on. Like, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if right this second there were a, an attack going on, but I suspect uh, it's not over. So I'm going to be a little withholding here. But basically, around noon Central Time yesterday, so we're recording this on Thursday uh, the 7th, so this is on Wednesday the 6th, we basically, our, our, the first thing we knew, our server went down, um, which happens from time to time for various reasons. But we were looking at it and it was just getting hammered with a whole, whole lot of traffic. And uh, it took us about 45 minutes to get, we got a backup server up and we basically pointed all our users. We were like, our main one's down, but go to the backup one. It's, it's still connecting to the real database. It's just fine. But, and then another hour after that, we got the, the main site up. We kind of like figured out ways to mitigate the DDoS and uh, it was back up. And we were like, okay, well, two hours of downtime in the middle of the day is bad, but we made it through. And then at 9 p.m. or something like that, that night, site goes down again and we mitigated it. This time we were more ready for it, but uh, so it only took 15 minutes. But then at midnight, it went down again. And at that point, we were like, this is this person's not going away. Like this isn't like a random accident. Someone is realizing we're mitigating their attacks and then they're making adjustments. And it's like a game of whack-a-mole where we're just, you know, they make a change and then we make a change. And so uh, I kind of pulled an all-nighter last night with a few other people at the company and we're in a much better spot right now. But I still, I assume that when the, I assume the attacker is like on the other side of the world and sleeping right now. And when they wake up, they're going to come back at us with something else, I assume. I'm sorry this happened. Do do you... I have a lot of questions, so maybe we can start with... I still want to make sure I understand the 
from a non-technical perspective, what, what is happening. So it sounds like this is more of like an uptime issue. It's, you know, is your service available to your customers more so than a security issue? Is that correct? That's right. And so we've been, when communicating with customers, we are calling this an attack, not a hack. Um, DDoSing is from what I understand. And let me get my background here. I'm a programmer. I have a pretty good understanding of like what a software engineer should know about security, but I am not like a dedicated security or DevOps expert here. So I know more than most people, but I I wouldn't say I'm an expert. Um, A a DDoS attack is just about taking the site down. It is not about trying to like breach the data, delete anything, access anything, none of that. It's it's sort of like an overwhelming attack just to stifle what you're doing to your, what you're serving up to your users, not to get inside. Yeah, exactly. So like a really common version of this is GitHub gets DDoSed all the time. And then it turns out that like someone, like some Chinese dissidents hosted a project on GitHub and the Chinese government didn't like it. So they just took down all of GitHub. They just DDoSed the whole site. Like that's an example of a really high profile one of these. Okay. And, and so the res- like, so this is happening. You're getting DDoS in non-technical terms. Like, what is the what are you what is the whack when you're whacking a mole that you're that you guys are doing? Yeah, this is going to be where I'm a little cagey because I don't want to. There's no way the person doing this is going to like listen to this podcast. But I don't know. I should. <laughs> I don't want to like tempt fate here. But basically, what you try to do is you say the, the challenge is what's the good traffic are real users and what's the bad traffic the bots. The easier it is to, like, this is why a non-distributed denial of service, if it's a normal denial of service, it's really easy. It's like all of the hits are coming from one IP address. Just block that IP address. Um, A distributed one is much harder, but there are still things you can look at and say, well, the pattern of this traffic looks different from what real usage looks like, and so we can use that to block it. Got it. So basically, it's trying to, when someone hits your site, you know, say, you are not an attacker, you're a real user versus, um, yeah, versus, you know, and then deciding whether to let them in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So uh, the the most important thing we do, we've done, all, so the, the timeline, as I said, we kind of got hit around noon and then hit around nine and then around midnight. Around 2 a.m. was when we were like, we could keep playing whack-a-mole forever, but having the site go down for 10 minutes Every hour is not except like we can't go into business hours like that. That was definitely the like tensest period of this where I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where I guess like you've never run like at, at people keep if the site went down, it sucked, but it wasn't like people are going to flip out because the site's down for a few hours. No, um, yeah, we didn't have we didn't have a mission critical like inside someone's work daily workflow. Yeah. For example, Notion went down, you know, a couple days ago and I was like. I just like stopped working. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> right. That, that I didn't have anything like that at people keep. Yeah. It's, I've had this twice now in my career. The other one wasn't a DDoS is just normal server problems. But when you're th- that, the other one happened over a weekend and this time, like it's the middle of the night. We do have users all over the world. So there are users impacted, but around 7 a.m. Eastern time, United States time, like if the site's having problems, it is an order of magnitude worse than if it's in the middle of the night. It's a really stressful feeling to be like, okay, we've got like four hours. Can we fix this in time? Um, so around 2 a.m., we try, one of my takeaways from this is you just need to layer as many things on top of each other. There's not going to be like one fix, but it's like 
you know, we've got stuff on our servers, we've got third-party tools, we're like doing everything you can. And I don't want to act like this is solved. Again, I think the attacker is going to come back tonight and probably take our site down again. Oh, God, I hate saying that. Um, but at 2 a.m., we said, okay, we need to get more serious about this. And we signed up for Cloudflare, which, again, did not 100% solve it. But, oh, my God, I am in love with Cloudflare right now. Like, they they saved my mental health today so much. <laughs> um, well, flying up real quick before we dive into that, I, I, it sounds like there's two battles that you're fighting now because the the DDoS attack. One is preventing future DDoS attacks and keeping the site up and then sort of responding to customer like impact, helping customers mm-hmm. recover from whatever was ha- and ha- you know which do you, maybe we can spend some time talking about the first bucket first which is this the 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 hacker issue yeah. and then we can move on to like how you're talk how you're dealing with the customer I think both are really really interesting um but we should, let's let's talk about one at a time yeah so, sure so cloudflare what is cloudflare so I'm kind of oversimplifying, but basically they sit between your server and the internet. So anyone who wants to connect to your server, instead of going directly to it, first they go to Cloudflare, and then Cloudflare acts as a proxy. So the user goes to Cloudflare, and then Cloudflare goes to your server, and then you send a response to Cloudflare, and Cloudflare sends a response back to the user. Because they're basically a middleman, they can do interesting things, like they can intercept traffic before it ever gets to your site. Um, so a lot of the things we were doing ourselves manually, where we were like, let's try and detect w- who's a bot and who's not. We, we're still doing some of that because Cloudflare doesn't catch everything, but a lot of it never gets to our site in the first place. So basically, Cloudflare is a, a service that you're using to basically you know, take some load off your plate to fight to fight bad traffic. Yeah. Um, does it do other things or is that what it primarily It does, yeah. I mean, I'd say the main reason I hear people use it is for DDoS protection, but just one other example, there's a, if you like sign up for it, it has so many features, but like one of them is it will cache your images for you. Mm. So if someone's like loading a lot of images from your server, instead of it going to your server and taking up your bandwidth and, and stuff, they will cache it on their end and just serve the images themselves. So that's another example of how they can be useful. I love the business. I mean, Cloudflare could be the hacker trying to hit you and it creates a, you know, a, a buying event for yeah. you to go purchase their software. <laughs> we, we joked about that a little bit. Um, if they did it, uh, mission accomplished because like they really set themselves up. It's like in the movies where like a guy's trying to impress a girl and so he like causes a problem that he can solve. Like, yes, uh, they solved it though. Or I shouldn't say solved it, but they really helped. That's cool. Anything else on the hacker side that you guys have done to, to any other takeaways on just dealing with DDoS, being prepared for it? Do you wish you had done something about this sooner or did, did it take this? Yeah, we should have had Cloudflare in place. So I, I've got to give them so much credit. Not only is it a great product, they know that people sign up in the middle of DDoS attacks and they are really set up to, to move quickly. So when I tried to sign up, for some reason they had our domain blocked. Like, I don't know why. But I, I contacted their support at 2 a.m. And almost immediately, they're like, we unblocked it, go ahead and get signed up. And like 20 minutes later, I had it set up. Um, I should have had it set up before any of this happened. But I was like, in my head, I was like, it's going to be such a huge project to set up Cloudflare. It's so funny how when an emergency happens, you squeeze like six months of projects into a day. You know, We, d- we did other stuff too. Like We made so many infrastructure upgrades over the last 24 hours. It's crazy. Yeah, deadline... Uh, an emergency an emergency deadline is the most powerful forcing function in the world. Yeah. And and this will segue, you said the next thing you want to talk about is customers, but to segue to that, 
a big takeaway here is this is the first time we've had like a disaster like this with a team the size we have now. So we have 19 people. The last one was in 2016, which might have been nine people. It felt categorically different. Like I'm, I hate this situation. I hope it never happens again, but it was so cool seeing everybody has a role. Nobody's ever been through this before, but like the team just sprung into action. It was so, so cool seeing like what a well-oiled machine can do here. So talk to me about how they respond, how you responded from a customer standpoint. Yeah. Um, so one of the challenges here is just like getting information to the customer service team, I think, because they don't know what's going on. The developers sort of do, but the developers should be spending time on what they're doing. So this is not like all that sophisticated, but we have a Sococo room. And as a reminder, Sococo is like our virtual office while we're remote. Basically, the whole company was sitting in this room with audio chat on just talking. Everyone was doing their work, but everyone could hear what everyone else was saying. And uh, having like really, like I love asynchronous communication, but this is a time for like the most synchronous ever. So that was really helpful having Sokoko. Um I don't know that we did anything all that sophisticated with customers. It's just being transparent and responding quickly and posting things on Twitter and Facebook and being did you, like... Did you email everyone that you were down or what, how did you handle... How did yeah. you handle... I guess when, how long did it, was the site down before you realized it? And then what, what sort of was the response from users and were you proactive? Were you not proactive? We were about to send an email out to everybody, but then what, what we, this has happened before. What we ended up doing is we just posted the message on our server. So the site was down. If it was hosting our real app, we could handle the DDoS if all we were doing was serving a static HTML page. So we made it so the site just said like, here's what's going on. Here's a link to this other website that we set up for you to go access. So we did that instead of emailing everybody, but we were literally like minutes away from sending the email to everybody before it occurred to us, like we don't actually need to do that. We can just update the website. Um, it was most, the proactive things, posting on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, but then responding to emails and voicemails, that's the real challenge. I mean, the, the support team said they were getting, you know, 10 voicemails a minute coming in and. I don't know. Honestly, I don't even know how they handled it. Like, I'm are very, queues, very Are impressed. the queues clear now? Yeah. They're all, they, uh, 5, 5 p.m. yesterday, we were all caught up. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, and obviously, some customers are pissed, understandably. Like, we were down for, depending on how you count it, 45 minutes or two hours yesterday during business hours. Uh, the vast, vast majority of people are, like, super understanding. As soon as we said, like, there is an attacker doing this. This isn't, like us fucking up a bunch of them kind of got on our side and we're like oh you know who these these heathens who could do this oh screw them good luck in the fight against them you know <laughs> so it's kind of like cool. it's kind of like what's happening with trump supporters <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> got to pick a side <laughs> yeah the reasonable people are 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 um choosing a new captain yeah yeah the only other thing I'll say, we, we can talk about that in a second. The only other thing I'll say about the customer experience, one of the things Cloudflare does that's really nice, but not great long-term, you can block traffic, but you can also do what's called a challenge, where you basically say, you have to perform a CAPTCHA or something, you know, like click the tiles that have a stop sign or something like that before they get through to our site. Um, so that's been one of the really, like the customers, the site is working now, but they have like, that type of shit to deal with to prove that they're not bots. So it's not like long-term sustainable, but that's the situation right now. And 
they're pretty understanding of it. Cool. What are, what's, where do you go from here? Um, we're just going to, we, we have a long list of things we can do to continue strengthening our defenses. Fingers crossed it's not necessary. Like hopefully the, the attacker never comes back, but if they do, we're just going to keep doing this for as long as it takes. Eventually they'll, they'll wear out and stop. I assume. <laughs> That's great. Did, did, does this change your, uh, your plans for 2021? I think we were, you're originally <sighs> going to go focus on marketing. Does this mean that secure, like ramping up your, um, infrastructure to handle this sort of attack? Is that become a priority now? I don't, uh, it was already a priority. So we have two DevOps engineers and this is the type of thing that would fall on their plate. They were already going to be, this reprioritizes their stuff, but they were not the ones who were going to go work on marketing. Um, The only way this really impacts stuff is if these attacks keep up for say weeks or months. Like for example, I did an all nighter last night. I took a nap. I'm going to go to bed very, very early tonight so that I can wake up around 11 or midnight. And I don't know if I'll need to do another all-nighter, but I'm ready to if I need to. I'm not getting anything else done for as long as this is happening. But aside from the acute attack that's happening, all the other mitigation stuff, DevOps engineers will do that, and I'll I'll get back to marketing once this is all over. Really interesting. Thanks for sharing that this is going on. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. It's, Good luck it feels attacking very the weird attacker. Talking about it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really wonder: Am I tempting fate? Like, because we we have quick turnaround time, right? We're recording this right now. It's going to get published like 15 minutes after we're done. Like, we don't edit these things at all because we're lazy. Um, I do w- wonder if I'm like jinxing myself publishing this in the middle of the attack. <laughs> if, listen, if so, if the attacker listens to this podcast and attacks you, that guy's got some serious problems, or that, ga- <laughs> or that gal, you know, yeah, whoever you yeah. are out there. Yeah, screw you. Uh, yeah. Anyway, cool. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, uh, I guess one one follow up on that. At some point, you're going to reflect on this, and you're going to go, "Aha, aha, aha!" When you have those, we'd love to. I'd love to hear them on the yeah. on the podcast. Um, now's not the time for that, though. Yeah, I will. Uh, if I have any great insights, I'll definitely bring them to a future episode. Yep. Well, we. You know, we I've mentioned this briefly, but I am convinced that Trump is just an evil person. And by evil I mean profoundly immoral and wicked. Uh I I hope I, I he needs to go immediately, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know what the I'm not reading the details, but the quickest and the quickest way to remove him from any sort of power is the way that we should go. I I feel similarly about a few other people in Congress that I didn't feel this way before. And, uh, and I hope that there are a lot of other people who either considered a vote for Trump or vote actually voted for Trump who feel similarly. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that second part. Cause yeah, Trump's an awful human. I, I think for, for many people that's been clear for a long, long time. We're just confirming it. Yeah. There's a difference between saying someone is not a good person and saying someone is evil. Sure. I, 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 Trump is I'm not evil. surprised by any of this, okay. is, I guess is my point. Like, a lot of people were like, four years ago, they were like, do you think he's going to leave office? No, like, no. <laughs> um, for, for a long time, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't take that seriously. You're overhyping it. It's not a big deal. At this point, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion, if you haven't, come to the conclusion that Trump is totally unacceptable, 
there is no line. Like, you would literally follow him to, you know, you'd work at the concentration camp at this point. Like, I, what do you think about that? Like, is there any redeeming people who are still standing behind him? I haven't talked to a single one of them, but, you know, I haven't talked to many people. I, I generally try to avoid, I don't know many people who were supporting him previously. Yeah. But the, the people who, you know, would in an argument try to stick up for him that I've talked to since that in the last 24 hours, this is, this is the destinance for him for them. They're like, Oh, then anything, everything that he's done that's good has been erased by this, which is very, that's, I think a I'm glad very positive thing. Yeah. Uh, it, there's so many things that this is going to shape in the future. Like what's, you know, what's the Republican party going to be? What, you know, are, are we, are we basically going to, is this just the beginning of a much bigger, maybe civil wars overblowing it, but something like that? No, I, I actually think that it's a call to reasonable, reasonable people to come together. And I actually think it's going to be, I personally think it's a, a, a positive, a positive thing. I thank God only not more people were hurt or, or killed. Um, I just don't see any evidence that they're doing anything to prevent the next one of these. The, I, I don't look at it as something that people need to do. I think this is just an evolution of people picking who they want to be as people. <laughs> and I, I think that that, this is a, this is a, a, a push towards focusing more on what the right thing is, um, for a lot of people. And I think it will lead to more reasonable candidates in the future from the Republican party. I don't share your optimism. I hope you're right. But I think, I think even if it's only 25% of the people in America who support him, if they're willing to attack the Capitol building and everyone else is not willing to make sure it never happens again, they're going to keep becoming emboldened, even if they're a minority. I don't believe it's 25%. Do you? Yes. Yes. I think it's, I think it's 35%. Oh my gosh. I think it's much lower. Uh, Well, maybe it's more that I hope, I hope it's much lower. We just had an election. Like how many people, how many, how many people who voted for Trump support the question that we're asking is how many people who voted for Trump support the Capitol storming? I think they that percentage polls for all all this stuff though. What, what Trump it, what, was talking about Trump was talking about this weeks ago. We all knew that this was going to happen. This wasn't some like oh who could have predicted that they were going to storm the Capitol. That's a separate question. Of the people who showed up in Washington, what percentage are likely to storm the Capitol is a different question than of the people who voted for Trump, who stayed you know majority of which who stayed vast majority of which who stayed home. Um, you know, would they, do they support storming the Capitol? Do you have numbers on that? The poll, not that number, but the number that I, I have seen is what percentage of people who voted for Trump think he actually won the election and think that this was rigged by the deep state or whatever. And it's like 80% or something. It's a very high percentage. And if you think, if you think the election was rigged, you should storm the Capitol. That's the problem is they think they're patriots. If the, if the election was rigged in the other direction, I'd be like, yes, the government is corrupt and it's time for a revolution. And that's what they think. They think they are on the side of w- what the American revolutionaries were when they fought against the British. 1776. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, The um, problem isn't that they support Trump being evil. The problem is that they believe things that are just so false. far false. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but said by Trump. Right. Like it's kind of, sorry, they're both problems. I don't want to downplay. Yes. Trump is evil and anyone who supports him at this point, like irredeemable in my opinion, but 
a big, big part of it is they believe a bunch of really, really false things, and they think they're the heroes of the story. But the source of the false things is Trump. So Trump going it's, away. It's Trump. It's Fox News. It's whatever those more conservative ones that have popped yeah. up, OAN or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of the people in Congress that are part of that as well. Josh Hawley. Uh, that guy so, sucks. So, so proud to have him as a senator in my state. That here guy in sucks. Oh, he sucks. Ugh. So does um, Ted Cruz. He, that guy sucks. Ah, it's embarrassing. I... I I'm not optimistic, I guess, is my point. I think that the the next Republican candidate is either Trump or someone like it's Holly or not someone a chance. like that. Trump is the next Republican candidate. Not a chance. Hopefully you he'll think be in jail. A, yeah, oh, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> the but but the this the storming of the Capitol from from a Trump like being president and encouraging is is the, only the tip of the iceberg for the questions that need to be asked about this. Like the the, the racial the differences yeah. between how protests are handled. I mean, at the Capitol, at the Capitol, tear gas was thrown to go stand for a photo op with a Bible in his hand. Yeah. Tear gas Ugh. versus opening the barricade and for letting people, these, through. Letting people through. Selfies in the Capitol building. Uh, th- th- there are so many questions. I, man, I hope that. I hope they can do something before he leaves office of his own free will to, 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 to give him a nice little shove. I hope every fucking one of them goes to jail like that. The only way four years from now, it's not another Trump type person running is if they see all, all that shit has consequences. And right now I think there will not be enough consequences. I, I think I'd probably agree with you that there probably won't be enough consequences. Uh, okay. Uh, well, on, a light, on, a, on a more healthy note, there was a good thing that happened yesterday for leg up health. I believe that's it's good. good. And this is anytime you think you know what the future holds in policy and elections, you end up sometimes regretting what you um, wish for. But uh, anyway, the Democrats now control the government um, in, for, in terms of House, Senate, and President uh, President uh, seat. And so what that means for leg up health is that we're going to see um, much more action and on the healthcare policy front, um, which assuming I'm right about some of the macro hypotheses about the individual health insurance market, which is that we're moving away from the employer provided health insurance market towards the individual consumer managed market supplemented by the government. Um, we should see a lot more uh, policy that comes through in the Biden administration and actually gets passed and enacted um, that uh, accelerates that shift. Have they said, like, do you know, as someone who follows this industry really closely, specifically what Biden's planning on doing? Or is this just like a vague, I think good stuff will happen? No, no, this is based on um, what his stated policy objectives are. One of the most exciting policy objectives that he has stated that I didn't think I had a chance because I had no idea that this would happen. Georgia is, mm-hmm. I cannot, oh, I'm still amazing. I can't, amazing. <laughs> the, the, the biggest thing for leg up health and the biggest thing that people don't understand about the individual market are premium tax credits. We've talked about it on this podcast before, but this is the thing that basically the government says, here's some money to go buy your own health insurance. And so you pay a fraction of what the actual premium is. There's this big cutoff like cliff at 400% of the federal poverty line, which is roughly hundred K for a family of four, a little bit above that. One of the policy objectives is to expand those premium tax credits to all Americans so that there isn't a cliff anymore. Mm. That would instantaneously make individual health insurance 
more attractive from a cost standpoint than group health insurance. It would be huge. It would mean so that group every health single- insurance doesn't get any premium tax credits. It's only individual. Group is full price for every. I mean, maybe the employer get, pays for some, maybe, but yeah. It's tax, group health insurance is tax, deduct, tax deductible to the business and tax excludable, but it's not a tax credit. Yeah. Okay. Can I, can we go down a little rabbit hole here? Yes. I'm, I'm cur- I have an idea. High level. This is good. I think this is good for leg of health. This is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. That sounds for sure. That sounds great. Um, I'm curious, just like from a policy standpoint, what you think, there's kind of a debate that's been going on for a long time about, do you try to like pick and choose who gets benefits from the government or do you give it to everybody and then claw it back in the form of taxes? And it sounds like that's one of the questions here is, do you give premium tax credits to people who don't need them because it's simpler to administer, everybody gets these and then just say, let's raise taxes so you still get the premium tax credit, but then you pay more taxes and it all washes out. What, yeah. what do you think about that debate? Oh, I mean, I get, what's the income idea? Minimum uh, basic income or minimum basic income. Yeah. MBI or whatever. I, uh, uni- U- UBI, universal UBI, basic, universal income. basic yeah. income. Yeah. So I, I actually kind of like the concept simplification. It's like, let's just make eligibility default. You get it. And then if you become ineligible due to activity that happens after that, eligibility claw it back. I, I love that simplicity. Okay. Yeah, I do. I really do. What do you, what do you think about it? I, I feel the exact same way, but I'm, I'm in a more of a political bubble than you are. And the people who align, align with me politically think means testing is terrible, but I am always interested to hear like you and other people who are maybe a little different from me, if, if that <laughs> resonates or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for keeping things simple for the consumer. I mean, I spent yeah. two hours, you know, two hours, <laughs> I won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> this stuff is way too complicated for the average American. Anything yeah. we can do to make it simpler for especially the lower and middle class, uh, you know, and their health, personal health, I'm all for. Great. Cool. Yeah, it'll be, uh, this will be an exciting two years. I'm assuming the Senate will flip again in two years, but it'll be an exciting two years for your business for many other reasons, but from policy reasons, it'll be fun to follow. It reminds me of 2010 when Obamacare was passed in March. And yeah. usually these things take time to to implement. But what I'm excited about with this is I the infrastructure is all there. Obamacare laid the framework. And so anything that I think happens in, a, in early in the Biden term with healthcare is going to be you know, polishing that and expanding it, which should take pretty quick effect. So there's yeah. a four-year delay for a lot of the stuff with um, Obamacare being passed from 2010 to 2014. I'm hoping that something happens 2008, 2009, and then, you know, pretty quick implementation, sorry, 2021, 2022. um, And something takes effect the following year. It could even be retroactive. You could imagine they pass something at the end of the year that says, you know, for whatever health insurance you had, you get a tax credit for it or something like that. Yep. I, I just, I see that I see whatever gets passed as the death nail for employer provided health insurance. Let's hope so. Cool. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. What else? This is kind of related to what I was just talking about, but you know, health insurance is a seasonal business and I am this week stunned by the seasonality. It is dead quiet. I I have all the time in the world to to plan. I've got a few, you know, few users type and say, Hey, I haven't gotten my ID cards. And then the next day they're like, Oh, I just got them. So it's, uh, (laughs) It's, qu- yeah, so, it's 
So let's amazing. pause for a second, because in the past, maybe two or three weeks ago, you said, you know, open enrollment ended, you thought it would die down then, but then you realized there's actually a lot of work to like make sure people are paying and getting set up. And I think at the time you said you thought that would last through the end of January. So it sounds like that fell off much sooner than you expected. The, de- the I, I pushed everyone to, so high level, you buy coverage from November 1st to December 15th every year. It's different in every state, but for the most part, that's what it is for Utah. Um, and then from the f- 15th to the 31st, you have deadlines to like make what's called your binder payment, which is basically the first payment, first monthly premium for your health mm-hmm. insurance for the new year that secures your coverage. And I got everyone to do that before the 31st of December. And that made, I had a lot of work from December 15th to December 31st to do that, but everyone did it. And so since everyone did it, my work is done basically. Uh, So, but one thing that was actually quite difficult during the end of the December was all of the users who are, so we had a hundred, we ended up with a hundred users, which is kind of a cool milestone um, to end with Uh, 40 ish. We'll just do it simply uh, of those users were client, our clients. And some of those 40 users have existing 2020 policies in the leg up health system. So when they log in, they see a a 2020 insurance card, but they just bought a new policy for 2021. I hadn't yet built the process for updating client policies from year Mm -hmm. to year. And I did it in one day. I, I basically automated the process for someone to add, remove, policies by year um, via a button click and by calling the Webflow API via no tools. And it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you have enough expertise and enough tooling that this would have taken you months. weeks, months before. And now it was one day because you've just got all the infrastructure in place. Yep. So now That's like awesome. if someone calls in, for example, and says, Hey, I don't want my policy to be on like a belt anymore. I, I even have a, a a system that I can log into that they don't see. And I, I can change the status to archive and it updates Webflow. Just little things like that, internal That's tools. Awesome. So um, I ended up accomplishing some of the things I was really worried about accomplishing in, uh, you know, 2021 in the, on December 31st, January 1st to take care of some of the things that I had to do on the new year. Great. A little, little win, little win. So probably in the next week or two, We'll we'll have a conversation about okay you've got all this free time what are you what are you doing with it yeah that's, you want to talk I'm about not, yet or wait <laughs> no I'm just I just want to acknowledge it um what I'm allowing myself to do right now is go through a serious planning process getting organized and trying to decide what the top few projects I want to work on in the first half of the year are can I give a suggestion um, yes. not for what to do right now but set a reminder for yourself for I don't know mid October next this year and just say. Reminder, listen to this episode and remember how I felt on January 7th and mm. expect that's going to happen again this next year. That's it. I was, I was on a walk with Sable, my wife, just a second ago, and I was just like, man, like this is super seasonal. There's going to be pretty much 15 days of crazy, crazy work, maybe 30 days. If I hire a full-time person for this role, they're going to wake up in January, going to be at work and looking at me like, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. I mean, you're in Utah. Hire a bunch of ski bums. (laughs) 
the hardest thing is it's so complicated. And for the level yeah. of service we want to provide, how do I scale that? Was I don't think seasonal workforce uh, will work. This is another topic for another time. I, I will. T- this we've kind of teased it a little bit, but how to how to staff for a seasonal business um, is going to be a really interesting topic once I put some time into it. Definitely. What about cool. you? Um, do you want to talk about maybe do the end of year numbers thing? So uh, you know, we both just finish our years as did everyone. And maybe we can just give some quick updates on, you, you just said some, like how many users and yeah. clients you have, but uh, any, anything else you want to give updates on? No, go ahead on uh, end of year numbers and we'll, okay. I'll follow you up with that as well. Yeah. So these are just updates. I'm, maybe there's stuff to talk about here, maybe not, but uh, our ARR growth last year in 2020 was $297,000 in new ARR, which is an 11% increase. Um, if if you told me that was going to happen at the beginning of the year, I'd be like, that's not terrible, but I'm not thrilled with that. Um, but as we all know, the pandemic happened. So in April and May, we lost a bunch of users. And then it's hard to know, did like some of them come back and stuff? So it's hard to do an exact comparison. But if April and May had been about normal, our growth would have been 15% instead of 11%. Growing, um, growing 10%, 11% in a year where many businesses went out, went under, it's not too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. And I should, having said that, I don't think very many software businesses struggled last year unless they were in one of these industries that was directly impacted. And you are, you're in small business. Well, we're diversified across some that were helped, some that were hurt. Uh, But what I mean is the, the software companies that were really hurt were like, we only sell to travel agents or we only sell to wedding planners. But anyway, yeah. Um, in 2019, we had 14.5% revenue growth. So to think that we would have had 15% if we'd had a normal April and May, I feel good about having said that the next update is like a lot of that is because of the price increase. So it's not that our like user growth rate was that, high. I mean, it was still fine, but um, going from $10 to $15 made a pretty big difference for us. What was your, yeah. uh, you may get to this, but what what is the percentage growth when you adjust what would the percentage growth been year over year if you hadn't increased prices? This is, I'm just looking at these numbers and like throwing out an estimate. If we'd had a normal April and May, but we hadn't increased prices, I think we would have ended up with about the growth we did have. So about 11%. So it's about a 5% impact. Yeah. So the reason so, I say, so if you hadn't adjusted for, if you hadn't increased prices, you'd be looking at growth rate of five or 6% for the year. Probably some. Yeah. So here's, here's the math on that. Our average revenue per user is $10.34, or it was on the first of the month. Um, you can take that $0.34, cents, that's how the ARPU increased due to the price increase, multiply it by all our users. That comes out to about $100,000 a year in revenue. So yeah, that would have cut a third of our revenue growth. Um, so we would have, yeah, 6% is probably a pretty good guess of where we would have been. 7% maybe. So still not terrible. I, I mean, we're growing. It's just, it's not startup growth, right? It's like, Good small business growth, but this this is the year of marketing experimentation. So I think I think it's going to be this is going to be an exciting year. Yeah, uh, I hope so. <laughs> Didn't start out the way I wanted it to, but uh, um, and then the final thing I've got just the team size grew from seventeen to nineteen people. So we we hired two people last year. I think we probably either won't hire anyone this year. Or we might hire one person, but uh, you know, it's nice to see the team grow. That's one of the most fun parts of this for me. So those are my updates. Do you have any anything else? Or yeah, you want to talk about any of that? Yeah, I, I did this. Uh, well, I mean, high level, I, I would just say 
good job, good year. And thank you. Be, be proud of where you are and don't be greedy. <laughs> don't be greedy. We should, uh, we should just say that at the beginning of every episode. No, so that's, it's, it's so easy to do that right now. And so be like, oh man, you're so lucky to be where you are right now. There's so much, uh, like rich people porn out there. So I think I told you the, have you started listening to the podcast? My first million. I can't do it, man. I tried. You tried and you can't. I, I get that. It's, you know, it's a thing, but every time I listen to it, I'm just like, they're, they're doing things that don't seem that impressive and getting so rich off of it. And if you, if you follow other people, I, I bet there are a lot of people following me and think I'm getting like, I'm doing that to them because we're making 3 million in revenue. If you just forget all that and you're just like, Oh, we grew. I'm happy with my job. It's all good. Ugh. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, and maybe greed's the wrong word. I think it's Warren Buffett who said it's not greed that runs the world; it's envy. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And so, in that porn just triggers the envy mm-hmm. uh, gland, and that is such a powerful, powerful um, motivator. Yeah, I. I'll, one last thought, and then I'm I'm done. I, I'll stop extending this. But I've been uh, in 2020. I increased my network of like other bootstrappers and like people that I had been following. I like finally know people that kind of are like bootstrap celebrities to me. And in a lot of ways, it has not made me happier. Not because there's anything wrong with any of these people, but I was before that I was just in my own little bubble doing my thing. I wasn't comparing myself to anyone else. And now I just have like, I talk to people and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, we're doing way better than you. And I wouldn't have had a problem with how we're doing until I had that conversation, you know? So I think there's a very good reminder just not to compare yourself to people and not, not to be envious. Yeah. Focus on what really matters and whether you're stacking up against that. Yep. Cool. You have any other end of year updates or did you kind of already give yours? Oh, I have the recap of the numbers. So Mm -hmm. um, I did something similar to you and I saw you put this update up and I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, 2020 um, and how it compared to 2019 for Leg Up Ventures. I think this is very different type of exercise for the state of the stage that I'm at compared with where Tyler's at. He's a 10 year tour business. 10% growth is what he's, he's thinking about growth and percentage points. For me, it's hard numbers and you know, can I make this work? How, where's the money going to come from? A very different mindset. So in 2020, um, our annual revenue for Leg Up Ventures was twenty thousand dollars, and to put this in perspective, it was down from an annualized one hundred k from two thousand nineteen. I didn't start Leg Up Ventures until around the middle of the year, um, but if you annualize the number, it was about a, it was more than a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Um, if you, as you and so uh, in two thousand nineteen, on that hundred plus thousand of revenue, which was primarily from consulting and Group Current, my former business. Uh, I was highly profitable. And so I stockpiled some cash. In 2020, um, on the 20K in revenue, because I shut down Group Current and I did no consulting, uh, the we experienced a net loss of $31,000, which was covered by the cash um, that I had saved from 2019. And it goes to show you that if you want to start a business and you want to do it bootstrapped, one way to do it is to go do something that's consulting or very much work per hour, pay yourself a small a percentage of that, stockpile cash, and then invest that cash into a new business. And that's exactly what happened here with Leg Up Health. Um, for Leg Up Health numbers specifically, MR, you know, the monthly recurring revenue, I'm not 
I'm more of a monthly recurring revenue guy than an ARR guy like Tyler is. Um, I think everyone's on your side on this. Yeah. People reach out to me like, stop talking about ARR. I don't think that way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, we started the year at zero um, and uh, ended the year at, I'm going to say roughly 2K, 2000 bucks a month, uh, you know, going into next year. And we're profitable on that 2K. So um, what, what that means is that, you know, we're at a point assuming that we grow on average every quarter where we don't have to worry about, I don't have to worry about cat, put it, bringing more cash into the business from other sources to be able to fund like a pelt. Great. That's, that's awesome. I know, I know we kind of already gave ourselves congratulations last, like in the end of year recap, but that that's uh to, to go from, so you lost 31,000 last year and you're, you're saying you'll at least break even and probably profit this year. Oh, definitely profit this year. Um, I would say that the most important thing is that I, I think with this business, if I don't do anything for the rest of the year and just work off referrals and do exactly what I did last year, I'll double the MRR to four or five K. Yeah, I buy that. Um, on that, we're, we'll make a couple thousand bucks per month profit. Um, not paying myself, of course, but you know that you know in terms of being able to be default alive, um, it covers that. And that would not be a full-time job, right? No, no. Be work really hard for 15 days. Yeah. <laughs> God. Ugh, that's the dream. I mean, sorry, it's not. I like working, but what a what a great business. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's all that's all. I just want to share it. Like it really sucks to look at paper and see that you have a 31k loss. Um, but then you look at the previous year and you're like, okay, I earned that 31k loss last year. So it's like I did. I basically spent the money I earned so that I could build a recurring uh, annuity. That annuity is like a pelt. It's 2K. So it'll take what, you know, 18 months for like a pelt to pay back, you know, at the current rate, the, the, the cash investment that I made. Um, so I feel good about that. The, um, the other thing that I wanted to share that for was, uh, most people don't realize this, but I, I don't mind having a net loss because that is a, carries forward. So that net loss of 31K will actually, when we, when I start making money at leg up in 2021, 20, uh, that'll pay, like I want to pay taxes uh, on the, any profit that I make until I pay back that, you know, 31K, which is kind of a nice little asset to have going into your first year of profitability. Yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. Uh, we got 10, 15 minutes here. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? I have a question. I, that's somewhat urgent because I'm going through, I'm paying $119 a month for the service that I want to cancel. I'm not going to say their name. I just want to get rid of it. In order to get rid of it, I have to switch to Twilio. Uh, I'm wondering if you've ever ported a number to Twilio before. I have not, but can I, when you say you're switching to Twilio, like you're switching to them for your main phone service or for like programmatic SMS or something like that? I want my main phone number to be with Twilio so that I can programmatically forward it however I want to forever. Okay. You think that's a bad idea? Well, I'm not, I'm just not sure what they have. So we use Twilio, but like I have, it's not that complicated, but like code that I've written, like Twilio is meant to work that way. You probably need some software that uses Twilio's API to like forward the calls and stuff like that. Have you looked into that? Yeah. And I, there are, there are no code ways to leverage Twilio, Twilio's phone system. Okay, cool. 
Uh, I have not ported a number, but I've bought a lot of numbers from Twilio. Like, what, are you concerned about porting for some reason? Yeah, I'm trying to decide. I have a main line right now. It gets spammed like crazy. I'm trying to decide whether it's worth porting over and keeping or just get, getting rid of and starting fresh and emailing clients, like update your record. Uh, but I was just wondering I just if start you, fresh. Yeah, I think I'm going to start fresh. Um, the other question I had was, where do you host your main line? Is it at Twilio or do you have it with some PBX provider? So we have we run our own code for this. And this is actually, you should not do what we do because when our site goes down, our phones go down. Mm-hmm. And that's the main time people call. So when, people, when we got DDoSed, a bunch of people called us and they were pissed that our phones were down. Uh, so that's not good. But no, we, we have code running on our main server that like handles, like when Twilio gets a call, they send a request to our server, which says, okay, here's what you should do with that call. Go to voicemail or ring this person's phone or whatever. Um, so that's all homemade Where is for us. Whatever number that they call that you list publicly, who owns that mm-hmm. number? Is that a Twilio hosted number? Yes. Okay, if it's not, I, you can't use Twilio. Can like, you aren't can, all... I, think, I think you can forward Twilio hosted lines to other service lines that you own. Like for example, oh, I have a Google, yeah. if I have a Google voice number, I could have a Twilio number that forwards text messages to the... Uh, Google Voice number. Even that though, something's hosted with Twilio. Like Twilio, it's a very lightweight thing, but it's it's the logic to forward it. Like Twilio is still hosting something. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy with Twilio. So it it sounds to me like overkill for what you're doing if all you want is a phone line. But if you want to, no, like, want, one day control S- it. It's SMS texting support that I need to be able to scale to multiple reps that I'm trying to solve. Do you see, do you see yourself like building your own tool for that? Or is there like a third party tool that you really want to use? Front integrates with Twilio. Oh, interesting. I love front by the way. Yeah. So so I want to get off help scout onto front and then I need to switch my text provider who I'm not happy with, uh, to Twilio. We should do that because we, we use Twilio, but we don't, we don't support SMS at all. Like if our customers text us, we just don't get it. I'm telling you, the people who text support and get it, they love it. But they have to be the ones to initiate. You can't, you yeah, can't for be, sure. you can't, it's it's very intimate. Um, you cannot be the instigator there. I hate all this SMS marketing, but I worry that this might like, there might be a lot of crap uh, coming through there, but you're probably right that it would delight some people. Um, I'm going to mention that to Michael. Related to this, Help Scout also is our Knowledge Center host. And so I've got to figure out a replacement for that. From what I can tell, Front does do web chat, which Help Scout also does, which will be fine, will be great, but it does not do uh, Knowledge Center hosting. So is this, is this what you've used Webflow for to solve? Yeah, we built our own, which honestly, I probably wouldn't recommend unless you have really, really particular needs. We, we decided this is one of our absolute core things is the the help experience and we're big enough it was worth i mean it took hundreds if not thousands of person hours to finish uh i did look at there are if you go to front's app store there are a handful of knowledge bases that integrate with them and a couple of them looked pretty good i would probably default to using one of those i'm i'm leaning towards webflow for seo purposes because a lot of the questions a lot of the help articles we will have and will have will, are super awesome for SEO purposes, but they're stuck at the help domain. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking that having them in a section sl- like slash help, leguphelp.com forward slash help would be better Would be better for SEO purposes. Yeah, probably a little bit better. Um, 
I guess it depends how much how much of your help content is driving real SEO traffic. The challenge you face if you put it in Webflow is search. Webflow has what I would call mediocre search on their site, but there's no way, as far as I know, to embed it elsewhere. But isn't um, this... Oh. So we use a separate tool called SwiftType for this, which is kind of like a no-code search indexing thing. So you can make it work. But it's expensive. But if you want people to be able to search your help documents from within your app, because your app's not in... Where your app is in Webflow. Okay, that's interesting. Ours isn't. But it's a different Webflow, it's, it's, it's Webflow a different doesn't Webflow. have like a JavaScript based. But it's a different search. it's a different Webflow instance anyway. Yeah, so so you'd need to do something more sophisticated. If but you, I don't care yeah. about them being able to search in the app. I, I'm fine okay. sending them to the help site and searching there. Okay, yeah, then I probably build it. That that saves me money too. So I, okay, I guess I mean like you're not trying to with the chat widget. You're not trying to do any automated responses or anything like that. Not right now. Okay, if you ever did, I think you'd hit a, a challenge. But because oh. the, the chat widget needs to be integrated with the knowledge base, if you want. That's a really good stuff. point. That's a really really good point. Interesting. Thank you. My instinct is the SEO benefit is there, but it's minor. I probably wouldn't make a decision based on that. If yeah, I, it, it probably needs to be. I need to just commit to front as my communication system of like a central central location and and only inter, you know use tools to integrate with them. Which creates a problem for my CRM, by the way. But I'm so pissed at them for the way they handle things. They're like Salesforce really? for small businesses. They're doing all the Salesforce stuff that I'm going to switch away from them on annual renewal. Wow. I, uh, I'm i sorry you're going through that, but you have to know that kind of delights me as a competitor of theirs. <laughs> I knew it would. That's why I told you. Um, quick shout out to Front. I know I've complimented them before. We were talking after this DDoS thing. We were talking if we had been using a help desk like Help Scout instead of Front... We're like, this would have been a fucking nightmare. It was so... The, the only way we were caught up at the end of the day is because we were using Front. It's so good for this. We're collaborating and handling support requests. Yeah. Yeah, because most help desks are just like, here's 100 things, go from the top to the bottom. With Front, you can organize it so well. I, I mean, it's just... It's so much more robust of a collaboration tool. And so it was like, okay, we've got eight people on the team you you handle this type of thing. You handle that type of thing. I'm going to delegate stuff to you. You could do it all in a help desk, but it's just way less efficient, I think. So front is awesome. Well, one more topic I want to squeeze in here. Um, it's a shout out to MicroConf. Um, I'm relatively new to the MicroConf community, and I would say I'm more of like an outsider sort of looking in, so more so than part of the community. But I did. Uh, they recently put together the SaaS Podcast Awards, Software as a Service Podcast Awards, and uh, I attended the live uh award presentation just to kind of it was, it was free you know because dead seasonality wise and i was like oh, i'll just i'll jump into this i don't want i can take a break nice um, and i just it was one of those things where i wasn't sure what to expect and it, i th- i just want to give a shout out to them i it felt really real and just not overproduced but just in, like the right level of stuff they went through each of the awards um start to last wasn't up for any of them uh, that's although not- some of our listeners nominated us, and even though we did not ask for it, thank you very much. That was nice of you, whoever did that. <laughs> we got nominated. I didn't know that. Yeah, we, we didn't make the top five. Like They listed the top five, but we did not make that, probably if for many reasons, including that we never mentioned it on the podcast. But <laughs> someone, at least one person, nominated us. <laughs> That's nice. That's thank- well, thank you. Um, but they, you know, they, they did a really nice job with it, and it was cool to... Uh, ben Ornstein, 
who showed up on this podcast, uh, one of our very first episodes as sort of a supporting, you know, attendant. Um, what he did, he and Derek Reimer, 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 I think, Reimer, yeah. um, did, you know, accepted their award for best podcast and did, you know, Q and a for 20 minutes, which was kind of cool. Hmm. Anyway, it was just one of those little things where it was like live broadcast. I felt like I was part of the community, even though I hadn't really participated much and I was really well done. Cool. Plus, we got plus what what kind of we now have motivation. We have awards to win, so maybe that would mean uh, extra good things for start to last in twenty twenty one. I'm such a Grinch about this stuff. I try so hard not to care about awards because, like, they seem. I'm glad it was well done, and I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone who does care about them. But what a waste of time to think about that. <laughs> it goes back to your envy, the envy greed conversation from earlier. Right. It's like the, all it does is create envy. Who, whoever wins feels like this fleeting sense of accomplishment and then whoever watches and and sort of envies the person who wins like feels this thing of like they're less than and it's it's but no one wins the the worst version of this are all these startup like pitch contests and i think you and i have talked about this before that we both know people who they just go from pitch contest to pitch contest and they win and each time they get like $5000 and they kind of fund like a shitty business and they never get any customers or anything cuz they're just pitching to these other people who don't matter at all all day. Um, anyway, <laughs> Rec- recognition is addictive. Yeah, it is. Uh, cool. Well, this—I don't know. This feels like a good stopping point. You got anything else you need to cover today? I don't think so. Do you have anything right. urgent? Nope. I got some more topics for next time, but uh, hopefully, I'll come back next week and say the DDoS is over. Uh, let's talk about other stuff. <laughs> and here's and here are my learnings. And here are my learnings. Yeah. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.